You're listening to episode 45 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about karma and if it's coming to get ya. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, humans. Look, do you ever think about karma? I do, especially when I'm being a bitch, right? I think, oh, crap, that's going to get me. <laughs> so I want to talk about karma because I think it's a loaded word and also one that has a lot of confusing interpretations. And it's something that seems to sit at the back of our minds a lot and then comes to the forefront when life gets a bit more challenging. One thing I wanted to open with is to remember to take what we talk about today as something to look into your own experience with and to sense for yourself what's of value or what's not what's true in your experience and how it might be helpful in your life. So it's really an invitation for your own inquiry, right? Like the Buddha said, try it, see if it works for you. And if not, go ahead and leave it. So we're going to start with a little bit of a definition. Like if we think of cosmology, we can use the definition of that as the belief of systems that we have about the cosmos and how we understand it that's relevant no matter your background. Whether you have a formal religious tradition like Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, whether you're an atheist or if you have a scientific perspective. Karma talks about the law of cause and effect, and we see the general concept of karma in almost every spiritual tradition, but interestingly, also in scientific views of the universe. And in my profession, I see it come up a lot when people face their own mortality. Maybe they're facing their own death with a terminal diagnosis or had a near-death experience like a serious accident or someone they know is dying. And we often start to think about karma when we think about what happens when we die. I know for me, this happened both when I was diagnosed with kidney cancer and again, quite profoundly when my mom died. I think because our relationship was fraught with a lot of moments of causing one another pain. And I wasn't just wondering what happened after we die, but what happens with the pain we caused one another that we didn't have time to heal and have full forgiveness around it before she died? And I came from being raised in a very religious Catholic background. We regularly said the rosary is a family. We had novenas at our house, went to church every week, the whole shebang, <laughs> which means I was also raised, like many people, with the idea of sin. But I also had this rebel grandma figure. She was a neighbor who ended up being very close to me, Cora Hutchinson. And my mom asked her to take me to confession when I was with her for a weekend, for example. Which, if you're not familiar, you go and you confess your sins to a priest in this dark, like, booth with a thin wall between you. So one week I was reminding her to take me, and she said, I'm not going to take you. And I was like, why? And she said, because it makes you a liar. If you're sorry, just say you're sorry. And if you really believe God's everywhere, he'll hear you. You just say you're sorry and then go out there and do better next time. 
And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that was kind of revolutionary for me, right? But anyway, despite her best efforts, the idea of sin and guilt and shame still really sunk into my system, right? And it really impacted me when my mom died, thinking about the ways I'd hurt her. And I harbored a lot of resentment because I'd been abused growing up and I often wasn't proud of how I treated her as an adult, especially when I was stressed out. So I started to wonder about karma. Would anything bad happen to me? And some people really misinterpret karma as that idea of being punished, right? But from a practical point of view, we can simply describe karma as the law of cause and effect. And a lot of what we hear in the media about karma is about what happens when someone's done something bad to someone else and we say, karma's going to get you, right? There's a meme I saw that said, no need for revenge, just walk away and those who hurt you will eventually screw up. And if you're lucky, karma will let you watch. Right? But many of us also wrestle with more complex concepts of karma. Like people will ask the question, but why do bad things happen to good people or good things to bad people? Or what about children who are in circumstances where they obviously didn't do anything bad and they're still hungry or starving or mistreated? Is it their karma? And even the traditional texts say you can't really understand it in a simple way. But one of the mistaken understandings of karma as I've been taught, as a law, is this misconception that it governs everything. Because karma is said to be the law of cause and effect, but what the texts also say is that there are many, many circumstances that determine the way things happen, and not all of it is karma. A way to think about the difference is that karma in particular refers to the way that we act and then the responses that come back from our actions. So it's one of the laws of human incarnation and of life. And just so you know, it's not necessary to believe in past or future lives in any way. I did a deep dive into the afterlife and karma after my cancer diagnosis and also after my mom died and really re-examined my beliefs around it all. Because while I've been practicing Buddhism and meditation for decades— my beliefs about those particular things have changed over the years, but it's not necessary to believe in those things. I remember when someone asked the Dalai Lama, what happens when we die? And he said, hmm, have to wait and see. <laughs> and Ajahn Chah said, you don't need to believe any of this, because if you want to understand karma and cause and effect, it's available to you every moment and every day. It's a description of the way human life unfolds, right? In Ayurveda, there's this principle of dinacharya, a daily routine. And what I love in how it describes the morning ritual is that we are born every morning, again and again, every day. Isn't that a beautiful concept? So we get to choose and determine how we move through the circumstances that come to us in each day. I receive a quote from the Dhammapada in my inbox every day. And one of the recent ones I got was, mind is the forerunner of all things. With our mind or our heart, we determine what will happen for us. And that reminds me of how Buddha said, mind your thoughts. We're shaped by our thoughts. We become what we think. When the mind is pure, joy follows like a shadow that never leaves. And this doesn't mean pure in some 
puritanical judgmental way. It means, do we have thoughts that will lead to actions that benefit ourselves and others? And this is where karma starts. Our mind. So here's a story. A stranger walked from the high road towards the gates of a new city. By the side of the road sat an old wise woman who hailed the traveler. Welcome. What kind of people are they who live here? The traveler asked. Well, how did you find them in the home city you left? Asked the wise woman. They were gossips, mean-spirited, often selfish, he stated, difficult to get along with. You'll find the people of the city to be likewise. A second stranger passed by later, welcomed by the old woman, asking the same question. What kind of people are they who live here? The traveler asked. How did you find them in the home city you left? Oh, they were fine people, industrious, usually helpful, open-minded, easy to get along with. You'll find this city to be likewise. So yeah, on one level, it's a sweet story. And maybe for some, it might even seem a little bit trite. But it's also a profound teaching that the energy and spirit that we bring to the world determines what we ultimately experience. The results we create, how we experience the world. So if we investigate our own minds and look at the patterns in our own consciousness, whether they're patterns of judgment or kindness or fear or openness and so on, we start to see that those patterns determine how the world responds to us. And this is how it works. This is why how we act comes back to us in some way or another. The most basic analogy used is that of planting seeds, right? My daughter loves this book, Miss Maple Seed, and she's learning about all kinds of seeds. But one basic principle is that you plant a maple seed and you get a maple tree. You're not going to get a pine tree or an oak tree. In this way, karma works. What are the seeds we're planting? And even further down the line, which are we watering? And let's see this on a societal level. What seeds do we plant individually and collectively? If the collective intention of a society or group of people is mostly based on anger, greed, fear, hate, we can see how that would create a certain karma for that country or that group of people, right? It may not be immediate on the outside, but I can assure you, even if things seem to be going well for folks on the outside at times, there's the inherent suffering of anger and hate that is on the inside as well. Conversely, if the seeds of compassion and respect and inclusion are sown, that's what will grow. So a key part of understanding karma is intention. If someone runs into your car because the road was unusually icy and maybe their brakes had an issue, there's a very different quality than if someone ran into your car because they were angry at you. The intention weights the karma. Now, intention isn't everything. There can be a lack of intent, but very real harm can still happen. But the quality of the karma that an individual carries with them is different. We may also see that the response that occurs is based on the intention of someone's action. People are more willing to forgive an accident, which has a more gentle intention. When harm is intentional, there are legal consequences and more, right? 
Did you know that neuroscientists teach that our brains are tuned and wired to read the intention of others? And this goes beyond mirror neurons and sensing what's going on around us or our nervous systems picking up on energy fields or something, but that we're actually predicting behavior. From an evolutionary perspective, this has allowed our species to survive, right? This ability to predict the intentions of someone. And you may have remembered I mentioned when I was growing up in our poor neighborhood getting food from St. Vincent de Paul. So St. Vincent de Paul said, it is only by feeling your love that the poor will forgive you for the gifts. And there's something really tender about that. The support or the gift that we give to someone also comes with an intention. And to feel that, is it out of pity or respectful or disrespectful? We read those intentions with our consciousness and our being as much as the actions themselves. Now, this is where we also remember that the actions that flow from these intentions also create a result. You've heard me teach many times the universal principle of how our thoughts create our feelings, which drive our actions, which create our results, the effects, cause and effect. So let's go deeper into intention and the difference between long-term intention and short-term intention, okay? Jack Cornfield described long-term intention as characterized by the direction that we set our heart. And in the Buddhist tradition, one of my fave books is Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life by Shanti Deva. And they refer to this text a lot in the Tibetan tradition in particular. And in this, we learn how to set the intention to be a bodhisattva, the aspiration. And I love this excerpt. May I be the doctor and the medicine. And may I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed. May a rain of food and drink descend to clear away the pain of thirst and hunger. And during the eon of famine, may I myself change into food and drink. May I become an inexhaustible treasure for those who are poor and destitute. May I turn into all things they could need and may these be placed close beside them. So that's a heavy task. A part of me gets tired just reading it, right? But the important thing we're told is that we need to set the intention to aspire that we could be so compassionate. And it says, and may I do so as long as beings exist. What does this mean? What does it mean when we feel it's so impossible to do so? to begin with? Why even bother? Well, this is the heart direction that we set, the long-term direction. And you obviously don't need to pick anything I've listed earlier as your long-term intention, but the idea about long-term intention is that you might not necessarily get to see the fruits of the result of that intention, but it guides you in a certain direction, which is important. There's a paraphrase from Alice in Wonderland, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. A direction's important, and that is what intention is, our direction, long-term for our hearts and short-term for our day-to-day lives and our thoughts, feelings, and actions, right? Otherwise, we are directionless. We don't know which action to take, which thoughts are better to cultivate or not. 
With intention, when you face something challenging, you can ask, how does this look now in the light of my intention? And in this way, the intention begins to have power. And we can set short-term intentions too. And these are often things that we set to do as we go along the way towards our longer-term intentions for a meditation session, for a trip you plan to take. I advise all my students in Freedom School to set an intention before each of our calls. What do they want to get out of it? I also ask my students in Freedom School to set an intention every day. The long-term ones we say daily as soon as we wake up, and we also get clear about short-term intentions. What's the most important thing I can do today to get me a bit closer to my dreams, to my highest intention? When we think of karma and intention, we might start to see some similarities with what some might call the law of attraction or even self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And you know, none of this is new. When we set an intention, we turn consciousness towards that direction. Our thoughts are guided to that direction and so follow our emotions, which means our actions are set in that direction too. And then the fruits of those actions are the end products of the cause and its effects. So we can ask ourselves, what seeds are we planting? Which are we watering? And there's a parable you've probably heard that's been attributed to the Cherokee people, a story between a grandfather and grandson. I have a fight going on in me, the old man said. It's taking place between two wolves. One is evil. He's anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The grandfather looked at the grandson and went on. The other embodies positive emotions. He's joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. Both wolves are fighting to the death. The same fight is going on inside you and every other person too. And the grandson took a moment to reflect on this. And at last he looked up at his grandfather and asked, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee gave a simple reply, the one you feed. So karma isn't something we're just born with. It's also something we can shape and affect every day. Every morning we're given a new day and all kinds of things are possible, all kinds of ways to direct our hearts and minds. So this is what we can do in ourselves. Now, short-term intention can be related to the power of the pause, which I talked about in episode 44. So imagine a situation in which you get hooked full on and you're about to react. Maybe you receive an email that had some harsh words or a text that didn't quite feel right. You're like, they didn't put any hearts or something, right? And you're about to hit send with your reactive response. But you can recognize you're hooked. You can tell you're triggered. You can pause. Your intention can guide you here. You can ask, how does my best intention want to respond? What would honor my deepest values? How do I want to show up in the world? And then you can respond more creatively. So maybe you wait to send the email or you change the tone of the text, adding some loving emojis or something, right? Because, hey, even when you feel the urge to get back at somebody, we can remember the meme that says, Dear Karma, I have a list of people you've messed. (laughs) Now, you don't have to do anything. 
What freedom opens up when we realize that isn't our job anymore? More opportunities for kindness open up too. And the more that time goes on, I realize how important kindness is, these kind acts. And the more I pause and really see what's going on, when I witness acts of true kindness, my heart like cracks open because it's so damn beautiful. You know, we were on the beach and Maya started having a meltdown because she was hungry and I was feeling super guilty because I wasn't winning any mom of the year awards for getting snacks, right? And we're walking to our car and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a while before we can get to some food. And she's crying about how hungry she is. And as we're getting into this car, a family had heard her and they were pretty far away. So she was really going for it, right? To <laughs> them to be able to hear But a man walked over and gave us a plate of food and my eyes filled with tears just from this simple act of kindness that someone cared that my daughter was hungry. And another time we'd bought a cupcake for Maya's birthday and we were singing to her at a table in the bakery and a security guard came over and gave her $5 and said, happy birthday and told us how his kid's birthday was that day too, but he was working, so he wanted to help celebrate her on her day. This total random act of kindness. So touching. These acts of kindness, they have an effect, cause and effect. We will be handed a lot of different circumstances in life. Remember, karma is a part of cause and effect, but not the whole picture. But for whatever reasons, life will hand us all different circumstances. And no matter who we are, some of these will be joyful and full of pleasure and others will be painful and some may contain unbearable suffering. No one gets away without suffering. And we can say, well, if this is my karma, then what kind of karma do I want to create? What kind of mindset do I want to live in, feel from and act out of? from this moment on. Like when Ajahn Chah said, if you want to understand karma and cause and effect, it is available to you every moment and every day. This is how we understand it. We see how our mindset, our intentions, our heart direction impact how we feel. We don't need to believe in rebirth or afterlife or even the concept that karma carries on from one life to the next. We can see and feel the impacts of karma every day, in every moment, right now. What's the predominant emotion you feel right now, these past few days, weeks, or months? There is a thought, a mindset, a heart direction driving that. And we are creating certain results or not creating certain results because of that way of being in the world. I mean, in my book, that's all we need to know about karma. Cause and effect. That everything we choose to think, feel, do, and create has an effect, first on us and outwardly in ripples. So we don't need to live in fear of being punished, right? Rather, we can set intentions to show up as best we can. And those intentions, practice, will start to develop power. And slowly, slowly, we will see the fruits of watering that seed. Ultimately, setting an intention is getting in touch with our deepest potential as a human being in our precious life. In one of our classes, Tara Brock offered three ways to check in with if an intention is authentic or not. So first, we check that it embodies the wholeness of us, right? 
your full potential, not just your bank account balance or your wardrobe, your wholeness, the entirety of you, your spiritual needs, your need to share your gifts, all of you. Then check in with your body. Can you feel the longing for that intention in you, in your heart? Because if we're hanging out in our heads, one of my personal fave places to be, by the way, especially when real life is freaking me out. But when we're asked about our intentions from being in our heads, we often just come up with the right answers, right? Like when I do an exercise in Freedom School and ask people, what are your top values? And if they're in their head, they quickly say things like love, compassion, honesty. But that's usually the head talking when it comes out like that. It's not that those aren't necessarily true, but you can tell it's coming from the head. When we go to the body, we get freedom, mischievousness, laughter, connection. You see? Then lastly, check that your intention can be experienced in this moment, something you would love to experience here and now. Sometimes people want things to happen not just yet. Like, oh, may I learn to live with true selflessness, but not quite yet because I kind of want some other things just for myself right now, right? And I'm not saying you need to aspire to everything right now. I'm just saying be aware of what you're asking for and make sure it's something you would want in this moment. Those are the types of intention with the most energy behind them, the intentions that stick. So karma, cause and effect intention. It's really, really important. It's the seeds we plant and water, the wolf we feed. Intentions are the way our lives come to be. They energize us to be what we can be, to manifest everything that's possible for us. But this doesn't come naturally. It's actually a totally rebellious act to do this. So I want to invite you to do what I ask of my Freedom School students to set an intention for your day, one that you say regularly as your long-term heart intention or intentions, it can be plural, but one that you say daily about that long-term heart intention. And also ask, what is the most important thing I can do today or one thing I can do today or the most important way I can be today that will help me move towards my highest intention? Sometimes that's not scheduling anything else that day so you can spend time with the kids. Sometimes it's putting your nose to the grindstone and cranking out that application to go to graduate school to be a therapist. Sometimes it's driving to a quiet spot and meditating. Sometimes it's pausing throughout the day to look around, see what is, what's going on, and offering an act of kindness at just the right time for someone that really needs it. Whatever it is, karma or no karma, afterlives or not, what matters is how we are showing up here and now. That, more than anything, shapes how we experience this life. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience 
access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.